On this special episode, Rob comes back to the show at the helm of the podcast to lead us through a discussion on what we've learned over the last three years, what we're seeing in maintenance reliability, and where we hope to take this podcast in the future. I hope you enjoy this special three-year anniversary podcast and, and join us in celebration as we hope to have three more years in the future. But before we do that, a very special announcement. Most experts are already in agreement and have been for decades that poor or inadequate lubrication is the primary cause of industrial equipment wear and failure. At Maintenance Disrupted, we are on a mission to stop equipment failure through community and education. That is why we are very excited to announce that Maintenance Disrupted is the official media sponsor of the Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit taking place on September 14th. This event brings together all the major global stakeholders, including OEMs, oil manufacturers, service providers, and recognized industry influencers, and more, to not only provide valuable, actionable content, but to also identify, plan, and put into action the future needs of the lubricant and hydraulic market to guarantee its success and develop the next generation lubrication technology. If you are in maintenance and reliability, then by default, you are in the lubrication field as well. We invite you to check out the Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit taking place on September 14th by going to the maintenancedisrupted.com website and clicking on the LRVS link on the homepage. This will take you directly to the event page to find more information and register by simply using this link. And by using this link, you are helping out the show. We hope to see you live virtually at this event. And now back to our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. It's been three years, and so I'm back. I'm Rob Kalvarowski, and we have obviously our two hosts here. We have Blair Frazier and Steve Doby. Guys, how are you? Doing great, Rob. Doing great, Rob. Thanks for having us on the special three-year anniversary podcast. On, on our, thanks for having us on our podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and it's funny, right? So I was looking back at uh, like Fred Schenkelberg puts us out in his newsletter every week, and he had it at I think it was around 160 or 161 episodes now. So we've been we've been in the tank now, like we've done three years, but then we've also thrown out some bonus episodes. So we're right in there. How's so? I guess I guess let's start here. So, I mean, first off, you guys were both on episode three, I want to say, when we were sitting in the bar in Memphis, Tennessee. In Memphis, Tennessee, yep. <laughs> the, the one where I didn't say anything until the last line. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I'll remember, I remember that the, that conference very clearly. There was uh, one, I, I think it's one of my first times in Memphis. I think I've been there a few times before, but yeah. Um, uh, recording that podcast and, and, you know, I, I knew you Rob more than I knew Steven. Um, and, uh, I was like, all right, let's do this little podcast thing. I have no idea what it's about. I'll talk, talk about anything. I don't care. Right. And at the time, you know, AI, I was in the AI field, but it was, you know, I was, I was dabbling in it. Right. And I, I should actually challenge myself to go back and see what I said. Cause I've, <laughs> I've actually changed my mind on a few things and going back like, but that that's the reality, right. As things change, like I've gone back and said, no, this is the way it should be done. And then, you know, after a while, I learned like, yeah, that was that was probably a mistake, right? And but that's okay, right? 
but I remember clearly because you had uh, your little podcast set up, right? That microphone we put in the middle of the table, I think it was called an active mic, right? So you don't yeah. talk directly into it. It listens around to it. And we're sitting in the uh, that giant pyramid that's the world's biggest Bass Pro Shop, which is the weirdest thing to wake up in a hotel and look out your balcony and see people shopping yeah. for camo stuff, right? <laughs> um, Why they wouldn't put the rooms at the other side where you look outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think they meant that to be the world's biggest Bass Pro Shop or design a hotel around it. But, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, w- within, what, five minutes, the bartender starts setting up the, <laughs> the bar and just washing glasses, crushing ice cubes. <laughs> It was that one was bad for audio quality. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I guess let's dig in there. So, like Blair, you mentioned things have changed in AI, or at least how you see the world. Like, what has changed for you? the The biggest thing, and I think it's coming on this podcast and and being more out there. And there, there's two things I've really had to learn. The first one is, with every good is going to come bad. It doesn't matter what you say and how factual you are, someone's going to disagree with it, right? And it can discourage a lot of people, right? You post something on LinkedIn with a positive intent, right? Like, and, and I find the more, we're in a very niche industry, right? With, with maintenance and reliability, but then there's even more defined pockets of it, right? So I call myself a generalist. I really don't go deep into too much things like technology, IoT, and, and that AI is, is really where I focus a lot of my effort by no means an expert on it, but, you know, I try to go at a depth to, to stay at my level. And that's, that's the intent of, of this podcast, right? If, if you really want to get into AI, then you need to dive in. You're not going to find, you know, you're not going to get a PhD in AI listening to the maintenance disrupted podcast. Right. But so when we post things like I, we have to generalize, but there's those specialists that come in that know that very well, that can say, well, right. And then, and then comment. Right. And, and I used to get like, Oh yeah. You know, and, and I would respond back. Well, that, you know, but I have to. I had to really learn that those specialists view things differently than I do because they're very specifically focused, right? And what I say, you know, what I try to say is generally true because we have to generalize for the industry, for the audience, and things like that, right? So that was the um, the, the first real takeaway. And then the, the other part in the example I give is with that AI is things change. What was believed, one thing is 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 you know, now disproven, right? And that can happen specifically if my focus on technology is, you know, it can change at an exponential rate. What was once true is not anymore, right? Um, and so that's why, and and the way I do the technology innovation and why I went that route w- with Steve and I splitting this podcast up is because I'm really selfish with it. I'm trying to get people on there that I know nothing about, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, a few of my, my favorite, like, they were all, they were literally all designed because I needed to learn about that subject. But if you look at, um, you know, what uh, Utopia was doing with taking a pictures and, and automatically using image recognition to figure out, hey, that's a valve, this is the serial number. And like th- that was fascinating to me, right? And I learned so much about that. And then, you know, you go to the other spectrum where, um, you know, other types of technology I didn't even know it exists. So, or uh, with uh, David Schultz about unified namespace. Now that's a boring topic in the maintenance reliability world, right? Like it is, the reality is it's, it's like, whew, right. And, and a few people coming to you after like, I, I still don't know, but that was the intent. And I still don't know, but I know enough now where I'm educated because I bet you in five years, we're all going to know what that unified namespace, if we're going down that digital transformation, we're going to have to know what that is. Right. So it's a little bit the cart before the horse. So 
yeah, one thing is somewhat have broad shoulders, but no matter how accurate you try to be, there's always there's always someone smarter than everyone else in the group, right? And that's always going to be the case. And two, um, you know, things are going to change. And it, that, that's what we were just talking about before on air, right? Going back to those first few episodes of three years ago. And, you know, we were, all three of us were on episode three and going back and listen to it and just go like, oh my God, that's embarrassing, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Um, but one of the things for me is from the technology side is, you know, we get lots of requests to be on the podcast and, you know, some make sense and some don't, right? Like some of the topics I think we beat to death, right? And we need to to make sure it's not the same thing over and over again. And, you know, what, what I find very, very interesting specifically in the technology space is these new technologies coming in specifically led from startups. Now, you know, I came from a startup world. I have a startup company, um, but you know, I find it interesting because you know maintenance reliability or quote unquote predictive maintenance is a low hanging fruit for IoT. Is we have these companies led by people on the technology side that have never stepped foot into a plant, right? And then they're coming in here, and when I start to talk at them, they say, "Hey, we would love to be on your podcast." I said, "That's great, right? Um, what would you want to talk about?" Well, I think the first little bit we can talk about why you know predictive maintenance is good right and I, and I have to go out there and say listen like our audience they've been around for a while they're mature in maintenance and reliability and you're about 30 years behind on that messaging right like it really came out with nolan heaps understanding right that that um, you know failures can be random and most of them are random in that point of view and i find people that are coming into it see the never step foot that have a lot of funding and a lot of knowledge on their technology of how to send data and stuff like that, but they're trying to preach us on things that we know that's not the issue, right? We know, you know, I don't even like using the word predictive maintenance, but we know condition monitoring is a good thing to be able to, you know, figure something they're, they, you know, okay, well, revolutionary. Yeah. I'm going to tell them about the PDF curve. I'm like, we got it. I guarantee there's people have a PDF curve tattooed somewhere on their body. Like we understand. Well, actually we don't all understand. We had Doug on the show. (laughs) That's right. The best ones. That's right. That's right. So it's it's interesting seeing that side of thing of people coming into our space. Now, you can come into our space and say, listen, I have a technology, but I'm not an expert on, on maintenance and reliability. And I think that's fine. That might actually be more credible mm-hmm. um, when you're trying to sell your products or your technology, right? To say, we are the technology people. You are the implementation people. You have to decide where it fits, which is probably more credible. But those people that come in and want to preach us on the show about you know, why, why predictive maintenance is good and why not to run things to failure and stuff like that, that part, you know, I, I've just become a robot and just very blunt. I'm like yeah. that. No, we, we can't, we can't do that. Right. If you, and also I'm also at the point now where we look at, I'm not, I'm not throwing vibration under the, under the bus by any means, but you know, five years ago, I could count the vi- wireless vibration sensors that were available on my hands. Right. And today there's a new one every week, which is good because it's going to drive the cost lower and, and, you know, more people are going to benefit from this technology, which is great. Um, but when people want to come on the show, I'm like, what's different? Yeah. Like you, you've, you strapped a mem sensor to a piece of equipment. What are you doing differently that hasn't been done? Cause that's what I want to talk about. Right. If you have just a better mousetrap and it's, you know, it's blue instead of silver, then I really have nothing to talk about because we've had people on there, right? So there's things like energy harvesting and stuff like that, like edge processing that I really want to talk about, but if you're not doing anything different, we've already had that. You had an episode, one of the bigger episodes about wireless vibration sensor three years ago. 
And it would literally be that same conversation from three years ago today, except this person just discovered how cheap it was to put a vibration sensor in and talk about predictive maintenance, right? I don't mean any disrespect. So if anyone's listened to that, that was reaching out to me, right? But that's really what I'm trying to do is, is really focus on, you know, things that are different, that are new. Yeah, I love that. And and I like, I, I, I mean, I obviously had that thought before, like, I can't, when I always ask the same question, right? Like I used to ask that question is like, what's different about your thing? And I always heard the same thing is like, well, we put the, the power in your hands or we're doing edge. And I was like, but that doesn't change what it does. Like for me, as somebody who just wants to know, is my equipment good or not good? Like, I don't care how it's done, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like how it's done, well, as long as it's effective, like I don't care, right? That's right. And that's that's the exact point is people coming from tech want to talk about tech, yeah. right? And the majority of people, they, they, they want a general understanding of how it works, but not necessarily why it works. Like so whether you're using LoRaWAN, Bluetooth, like there's benefits of both, but at the end date, and, and you know, this goes back to Cliff Williams, who you've had on the show is the people, right? Like, tell me how this affects the, the, the people, what's different about the people, right? And if you can't really answer that, then you just, you have another widget that's, that's out there in the market. And you'll probably do well in this time because everyone's strapping shiny things to the things, right? But uh, that's, that's my biggest struggle is trying to figure out what's really going to add value to the listeners. Well, and like the most, the, whenever you, whenever I've talked to like somebody that's selling a sensor or anything, there's always a big conversation about like how it works and all that stuff. And I'm like, this, you know, that's great. That needs to be known and all that stuff. But as the end user, I just need to know what to do with the information. Mm-hmm. And so like all the people that we're talking to at a lot of the startups, we, we focus on like, you know, like you said, there's a million vibration sensors out there we know what to do with the sensor. So what's setting them apart is, is that the things in between them and what's on on the asset. So it's like the conversation needs to be more about what is this going to deliver? And, you know, I I hear it all the time where it's like, you know, we're putting machine learning in, it's going to detect this. And like, I haven't seen, and every time I say this on the show, somebody calls me out on it and they're like, we've got this example, but I haven't seen an effective like, failure detection machine learning model rolled out yet. Right. That's actually no. really usable. No, so why, um, do, why do you think that is? I think it's the frequency of events personally. Like, um, yeah. So you take an engine, for example, sure. We fail a few of those a year, um, but that's a few data points. Where so you've got the sea of good data, and then five or six points of bad data or of telling data, mm-hmm. and how many failure modes do you have on an engine? Like the chances Jeez. that those five right. fail the the same way are, are slim to none. It's and if they do, then it, it's you know then you've got a silver bullet. You have something to work on, but that's that's <laughs> that's not the case. And so it's now obviously some things are a lot more simple. You take a pump. There's only a there's a lot less way the pump's going to fail compared to an engine, but it's, but even still, right. Well, and that pump, like, again, it's simple. So do you need machine learning to solve that problem? Right. Licking it back. And and that's where I think, um, technology vendors are, you know, are might be doing a disfavor saying, you know, and I've, I've mentioned this before, just, this does go years back and it, 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 
boils my blood and I've used it as a reference so many times now, but you know, I sat through an AI presentation and, and they said with AI, you'll never experience an unplanned failure again. Right. <laughs> and I, I've told this story so many times and I, you know, it was at like, um, an automation executive constant. So, you know, it's, it's automation people, not me, it's reliability people, but you know, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, there had to be other maintenance and reliability people. So I'm looking around going, it's like, is anyone going to like, like, do I have to comment? Like, I can't bite my tongue here. Is anyone else going to do it? All right. And I had to do it. I'm like, so you're telling me I'll never, we'll never have a failure again. We can predict all the failures looking at, you know, abnormality of these signatures. I'm like, what if lightning strikes? Right. You're going to predict, do you have a weather thing in there? It's going to predict when lightning is going to strike. Right. Like that was a crude example, but it proved my point. Right. He's like, well, is that an unplanned? I'm like, well, I usually don't plan for lightning to strike my assets. Right. Like, you know, or someone to hit with a forklift or, or things like that. Right. So I think you're, you're spot on there, Steve is, and, you know, specifically from an AI point of view, you know, we are seeing it go down that hype curve, right? It's trailing behind IoT, where you know where IoT was at the type of the hype curve, then hype curve, and then you start to go down, right? We're seeing real good implementation of it, but it's not, you know, the holy grail I think we we set out to. And you know, from a Cortex point of view, where we tried to drive people was the understanding is, you know, don't boil the ocean, don't get to that holy grail, right? But e- and this I ask this a lot in my webinars that I do for UE systems is. You know, is just knowing that something is abnormal before catastrophic failure, secondary damage, is that of value to you, right? You don't know what it is. You don't know the failure, but hey, you know, this is running X amount different than it used to, right? And if that's a value, then that's where you can start getting some results, right? It's, it's it. you know, people want it to know like that remaining useful life. Like I hate seeing that because it's an, it's an estimate, right? It's like, in the way I describe it, it's like rain. It's a probability. And that's why I always say, like, well, there's a 60% chance of rain today, but there's also a 100% chance of them being wrong. <laughs> right? It, that's the reality. And that's why it's a, it, it's a chance, right? So that remaining useful life, I think those type of things are giving us a disfavor, right? Asset, Even asset health, like, you know, this overall, I'm going to put all these predictive maintenance technologies in, but there's still their failure modes. You're not going to cover with those. Right. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a challenge. I understand why we're doing it. And, and if you take the, the insight that, yes, this is the asset health for what I'm measuring. Right. Then that's good. But an executive that doesn't know maintenance yeah. is not going to understand that. So they're going to see my asset health is 100 percent, but my equipment failed. Right. Which is, is completely possible. This is bringing me back to that joint episode we did with uh, Allison Holly. I know. I, and, and I go back to her notes all the time. <laughs> I, I think that might be my favorite episode that we recorded. I um, agree. Because it, she just like she's she's been working in this space for a long time, and she's tried a lot of different things, and she's had a lot of different things not work, and a lot of things work, and she doesn't sugarcoat it either. It's like this failed, and I'm not going to go down this road. Like I think the my favorite comment was like digital twins. I'm not going to bother if somebody, as soon as somebody says like a digital twin, I kind of zone out because it's how they're being explained. And I don't understand what they're trying to do there enough to really give good context around it. But it's like, what is your, what are the things that are going to cause you to like, just kind of zone out and not take a vendor seriously. And she had a good list of them all. And I I made a meme out of it that week too. (laughs) And uh, like, (laughs) it's, (laughs) She should do um, vendor consulting. Okay, before you pitch, make sure you don't say these words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like it's, and I don't know, that whole episode kind of, it changed. I work with her and it changed 
and I've had similar conversations, but the way she laid it out there really changed my perspective on it all. Mm-hmm. And I ask the questions I ask when I talk to vendors are completely different since we recorded that. Isn't that interesting? And hopefully that's, that resonates with other people as well. And you also brought another fantastic guest, which is, it, it, it's, I, I would say it'd be close. It would be up there with the, with the first along with Allison was, uh, I think his name is Cody. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. When he talked yeah. about the selection, the, more specifically, what I took away from that was the user journey, right? Of mapping that out to, you know, what is that technician person going to do with it, right? Like we, and it, you know, he, he talked about, um, you know, like a, a augmented reality, remote worker type things, and you know, it, it seems so obvious in your field specifically because. Right, it's it's remote, but then all the challenges to go with it and the adoption of the people. So it might not be the technology that's what make it fail, but looking at that entire user journey, it might be the people are going to make it fail, right? And and so it's not going to work no matter how good the technology, right? So that was also a very meaningful well, episode for me. Well, I, you know, the more and more we try to implement different technologies, and uh, the more I talk to people, like it's the same problem every time. All the technology out there, it's great, it's useful. Um, but is can you get people to use it? Is it making their life well, easier? And well, it has to make their life easier without a big lift. Like there can't be a big lift to get to the point where it's easier for them to right. use. Otherwise, right. you're never going to get there. Yeah, you're, you, you're getting me fired up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, be, oh, go yeah, ahead, Ron. So like that's the reason why I've sort of like I've pivoted right into the leadership and the even different style of leadership that we see in our space, right? It's because like RCM has been around since the 60s, like it's 40, 50 years old. We understand that we should be doing maintenance in a certain way. The best practices, we understand most of them. Um, we know how to do RCA. We know how to do you know, we know how to use predictive maintenance tools. We know how to do defect elimination. We know how to do all these things. And yet we're not doing them. Right. Right. And like every listener that's listening to this right now, there is opportunities in your plant that you know about that you cannot get anyone to do anything about. Like we all know that. We all, like we've been to the plants, we've seen them, we've walked the floors, we've talked to the guy who's, 20 years there and he says we should do this this and this and nobody cares and that's why i i've pivoted into, into leadership is because what i see the gaps as being like we're not focused on our people we're not focused on why they're unable to do what we need them to do and we don't focus on what what steve was mentioning there it's 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 about how do we leverage the pain of today and the pain of that change against the pleasure of the implementation working well or the pleasure of tomorrow. And that's a mindset and a psychology thing that you have to get into because without it, people don't change. And you know why people don't change? Is because you, and you know them, you hate your job or you know somebody who hates their job. But if you ask them, hey, are you looking for another job? They're not. Why? Because the certainty of I show up on Monday and I complain is better than the uncertainty of I look for another job. We've seen that in everything. That's right. 
That's right? a good point, Rob. Yeah. It's well, all and- psychology. It's all psychology. <laughs> it's all mindset. And it's understanding how as a leader, you impact the mindset and psychology of your people. That's how you get change. That's how you influence. That's how you impact. And that's how you get results. But you've been sending me uh, snippets, Rob. Uh, LinkedIn polls are getting really popular. And there's so many polls of like, what's the biggest problem in your in your facility or whatever. And leadership is never on that list that people mm. put on that poll. And so I, I put out one for upcoming uh, maintenance mastermind and I made sure I was like, okay, I've got leadership in Good here for there. this poll. Just <laughs> Rob's going to see this. And <laughs> well, leadership's a, an interesting, so. <laughs> an interesting thing specifically in our, our industry. Right. And um, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough through my career of take on leadership roles and, and similar path to many people where you become really good at your job so you move up but your that job is no longer doing the same thing you used to do but you get no management and and fundamentally what i've had to learn too is the difference between management and leadership you can be a really good manager but a really bad leader or you can vice versa right that's right um and in doing that and and to your point on change there's a great book uh 4dx around implementation by franklin covey and what it talks about in the first chapter of the book is as a leader or as someone trying to implement change, the hardest thing you're going to have to do is get someone to change. That's right. The hardest part of leadership is getting someone to change, right? And, you know, we always had that saying, and specifically in our field, that why do you do it that way? Because I've always done it that way, right? And I think that just rings true, right? Like it's that, that analogy you gave of, you know, I hate my job, but I'm not going to leave my job is, 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 is so true, right? Um, that that's interesting. Um, you brought that up, Rob, and I I got to go back and listen to exactly what you said there because there's 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 some marketing <laughs> I can use in there for. <laughs> All right, but what, and to your point, Steve, what I'm finding as you know, part and it's not really a hobby, but I love looking at you know new technology as it's coming through, or even not necessarily new, but changes in things, right, or new applications for old technology, and and. You know, specifically in the field I'm in right now is, you know, um, sim- simplifying XXX or making XXX easy, right? And the way most companies are doing this now is taking you, taking the person out of it and trying to replace it with AI or replacing with another person through a software agreement. So it's not making it, It's yes, it's making it easier for the end user, but there's you know, instead of, you know, being a vibration analysis, it's like, I'm going to send the data out to another company that's going to vibration to send me a simple report. So they didn't make it easy at all, right? They're just sending it to someone else that dumbs, not necessarily dumbs it down, but makes it easier, right? And really what I think technology has to do is take that, take that step out of it and make it truly, the flow goes to that person, but makes it easier for that person. We're just, we're just, you know, hiding behind a fake wall and sending it to vibration analysis and they send a report in, right? So it's not really making it easy whatsoever. It just means there's taking the load off of you, right, of the person. So I think there has to be a shift of, of that truly what making easier. So if you're the person owning that equipment, you understand, right? But what I've seen with those yeah. programs too is, you know, and, we, and I was part of one of those programs when I when I worked at Fluid Life there is like it's, yeah, it makes it easier, but at the same time, it, it's not a small lift for the people, for the organizations doing it. Like uh, we were doing, we were helping companies with oil analysis. We 
get the results, we send it over. But the amount of demand you place on them to get information back to you to, to do this, it just it makes it makes the programs unsustainable because everybody has these their other jobs to do their primary thing. So like you're a maintenance planner, you've got a pretty full up job. It, it's it's a busy job. There's lots to do all the time and you know, you might be trying to manage oil analysis or vibe or whatever it is on the side of your desk or, and, and you're not doing it well. So you get one of these companies to come in and help you with that and have that service model. And now all of a sudden it's still on the side of your desk. Like they didn't take anything away. Instead, you just have these people constantly asking you for more and more information and like, (laughs) okay, we sent you this result. Did you get something good? What's the save? What's this? What's this? And that maintenance planner is sitting there. He's like, I got, I got the, this big shutdown coming up. I got a plan for that. I don't have time to go through this. And so like that, I think that business model is inherently flawed a bit. Uh, and we need to find a way to do that better because it's, it's not sustainable. Well, and I, I agree. And I think where, you know, specifically because we were talking about AI, where it needs to go is what's called closed loop AI, where it gets tied back into the system. Now that's risky because there's that culture change and I don't know why it's making that decision. So it talks about explainable AI. Um, but to really, you know, it, it will get to a point where it's going to make decisions and end actions for us, right? Open that valve a little more, change that set point, change those parameters, slow that down, right? That's, that's where I think we're going to see that biggest shift, but getting there culturally because we might not understand why it's making that decision is the biggest risk. But to your point, Steve, of just piling up information, not not insights, information on a planner's desk is not going to help, right? Yeah. But well, well, and like it's uh, the explainable AI I piece, and you know, I I think about it in terms of like what I if somebody was to give me a self-driving car and tell me this car is safer than you driving. Am I going to sit in that car, take my hands off the wheel and let it happen? Mm-hmm. And it's eventually yes, but there is a long time where you have to build that trust. Of course. And it's the Absolutely. same thing. It's the same actually, thing when you're, so, you're on site. So I don't actually think the science agrees with that, Steve. No? So like the people who mm-hmm. have the Teslas now that are like, they're not fully autonomous, but people are sort of behaving like they are. And so, like, there you're supposed to have your hands on the wheel. You're supposed to be ready, but because you like automatically, start, your brain shuts off or something. That's why they're getting into accidents. Is like they're not ready to react. And so you're I, almost better now, just like being non-autonomous than having like marginal amounts. I guess. I, I have a thought on that because so arguably. And this is obviously changing, but the people who buy Teslas are early adopters yeah. to new technology. So could it just be that their psychology, and I am by no means a psychologist, um, could it be that their psychology is just built to trust technology more? And those are the people that you know AI companies are excited to sell to because they're the ones that are going to try it out. They're the ones that are going to test it, put it through their paces. But those early adopters, they're going to put their faith in technology a lot easier than say like with and this is maybe getting off topic but the f-150 lightning that was just mm-hmm. announced like that's a big game changer because that is taking your average truck user who i think is going to have that harder time 
taking their hands off the wheel and putting them into an electric car. And if it was, were to have like a autonomous mode or whatever, would they be as willing to trust it? Like, I'd, I'd love to see that, um, <laughs> yeah, that comparison. Totally but I think, I think to your point though, I think, I think the persona does have a play in it because, you know, Tesla's are sport, like the zero to 60 and just whiplash time. Right. Um, so it, it's not, they don't mean anything bad. It's not a family vehicle full of kids in the van going to soccer practice either, right? It's it's typically a professional going to their office and plugging in their car, right? So I think a context has a little bit to do with it. But I'm going to go out and say, when that person drove it back, they didn't just, they didn't from the lot. They didn't sit in the back seat and just hit a button. They that's still right. had their hands on their wheel the first little bit, right, and made sure it stopped. Right? I think that's human nature, right? Like, okay, okay, good, it stopped, right? Um, but there's there's that case where that guy gotten an accident because the truck was turning and it thought it was the horizon and when they discovered it he was in the back watching harry potter right so there's <laughs> there's two things wrong with that he got so comfortable with it and the technology wasn't there where it was a white truck right so it thought it was the horizon so at full speed didn't slow down and the second part he's watching harry potter like you think he would scrub that not that harry potter's bad but maybe just for the right like, guys watching it's die just hard. for children so come on die hard or something right but uh, lord yeah, of the so. rings is clearly superior right <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I think, and then Tesla went ahead and you, they're using their cameras inside now for that to make sure people are awake and stuff, right? So they're repurposing yeah. the cameras that was for theft and stuff like that to say, hey, dummy, get in the front seat, right? <laughs> but I'm sure if you listen to Elon Musk's podcast, which he still has declined to come on our show, um, like he's just, he'll flip that switch in a minute and be everything be autonomous, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. There's a, there's that technology change. And the one thing specifically with, with AI too is, is I'm having a hard time, you know, those, and I, I, I respect it. I respect it because it's, it's technology, but those um, people have been in the business for a long time, know the fundamentals really well. You know, they're, they'll challenge me on, well, do you know why AI even got its name? Right. And, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, I don't really don't care. It's more about the technology and what it can do or what it's going to do versus, well, you know, the person that invented didn't even plan it to be AI. He made up a fake name as a joke. I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. I don't care what it's called, right? And, you know, they're very, very reluctant on putting tech. They'll fight it tooth and nail, right? Well, you got to have the fundamentals down. And you do, right? It doesn't matter how early you detect something. If you don't have good planning and scheduling, it, it doesn't matter. But there is a tipping point. There is, Right. And do you have to have your planning schedule at that top quartile, best in plat, you know, Doc Palmer goes and certifies it, right? The answer is no, because it's that, that's a moving goalpost to get to, right? And there is a point where technology can come in and expedite and remove some of those hurdles in your journey, right? So that's what, what I, I str struggle with. Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, but what I think, like when we when I talk about like the fundamentals and you need to have the fundamentals in place, I don't necessarily think of it in terms of you need to have uh, planning and scheduling or you need to have your workflow processes fully figured out. I think of it in more in terms of like where Rob's at in the leadership aspect, like your workforce needs to be engaged. They can't be yeah. cutting corners. They can't be. Like they need to understand the value of what they're doing and how that affects the operations. Like the biggest issues I see, and when I say we don't have the fundamentals down, it's not because the systems aren't in place or the systems aren't working. It's the fact that the people are choosing not to use the systems, that they're not enabled to make 
the best decisions. And so like everybody has uh, Maximo, SAP, whatever version of that. And it's just a matter of getting the people on board. And that's going to be through strong leadership to get those fundamentals in place. And like, uh, you think about like, okay, if your program, if your PMs are behind, what do you need to do to catch up? Well, you, you're going to need to say, we need to stop doing any break in work or uh, only focus on very critical break in work um, and just get everything caught up on PMs before we can move to the other stuff, which is a fundamental shift in how maintenance does tasks like you're rewarded as that hero and like the fundamentals in maintenance is rewarding people for doing the job that they're supposed to do doing the planned and scheduled things first worrying about um making sure that 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 stuff is in place like and the rest falls out of that like good planning and scheduling that's going to fall out of that good uh Mm-hmm. Good actioning on AI alarms and whatever else, that's going to start to fall out of that because you'll have that confidence that the front line, which is where the value is in maintenance, the value isn't in the engineer in the back room. It's on the guys turning the wrenches. It's if they they are happy or engaged, um, then the rest becomes a lot easier. Yeah, it, You're spot on. It's almost like someone should really create like a leadership podcast <laughs> on that topic, right? Because <laughs> you're right. Everything comes back to, to that. And I'm always amazed because, you know, at UE Systems, we came up with the smart loop system, right? And and I'm still amazed that the hundreds of systems we have out there now, there's still a few that are just still sitting there like, oh, you know, just haven't installed it, right? Yeah. And it's just it, it just amazes me because I always think, no, this product's so cool. It's, geez, you stick it on there, but right? And, but it's not right. And like, well, I can't get the guys to they want to install it. And, you know, or, the, you know, the one guy that purchased it didn't have consensus. So he's like, this is really cool. I'm going to put it in. He retired. And our guy's like, no, nah, I don't want it. He could still grease it from home, though. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> in theory, he could. Only if it's installed. Just yeah. Dumping right. grease on the floor. That's right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so I really believe that. Well, first off, I don't believe that a lot of people in our industry know what leadership is. I think that's the first thing I'll, I'll leave people with that is it's not about command and control, although that's what we see everywhere. It's, it's really about engaging people and making them better. And so there's like a lot of research around why that's good. There's a lot of benefit financially and both from, you know, how people feel around why it's good and there's like an underlying need that we all have which is that you matter in the job or in your life and there's kind of a few components about you mattering but the first thing is the belief that i'm valued by the company that i work for or i'm valued in the job that i have or i'm valued at home but i'm valued is like your manager can directly impact that and they talk about Gallup reports that 70% of engagement is directly related to your direct manager. So it's not the CEO. It's not the values of the organization. It's literally your boss. And it's stuff like, you know, knowing their name, talking about your life, getting into, you know, the details about how many kids you have, what you love to do, like these things that are, are super important. And the other piece is that you are adding value to your role. 
And so that other piece, there's stuff around psychological safety about you're able to share ideas that you have and you're not beaten down for having an idea or you're not, you know, you don't, you're not passed up for a promotion because you say, Hey, you know, like we shouldn't do this. We should do something else because it's better Then you know, that's another piece of it. But it's stuff like, how are you Blair able to make a difference that's different than somebody else if they were in that role. That's an important need that we all have. And I think like these are the things that we talk about on the Leadership Launchpad Project, but this is like actual leadership that's going to take not only our industries, but literally any team to the next level. And that's like what we miss in our space is we sit with this underlying assumption that people aren't there they're not going to do their job in the best way and so we go well how do we measure them doing their job how do we bonus or fire them based on those measurements and and like bob talks about rca right like how many times are we blaming people like Mm -hmm. these are the things that we've set up as an industry because of the underlying assumption is we believe that people aren't going to do the best that they can't and that's fundamentally wrong wow yeah. So the it was interesting, Rob. The you know you mentioned of the the Gallup reports. Then in the um, engagement comes from their direct manager, not the CEO, right, or not the president, or whatever that structure is. That's right. And, and that that that's interesting to me because I, I do do believe that culture starts from the top down, though. And so I'll give you an example, and I can't name the company because it's not going to put them in a good light, but a really big Canadian company. And the CEO is known for engagement, um, creates an email every week, whether he writes it or not, right? But it still goes out as a communication update on his family, what they're doing on the weekend. And like you go into any meeting room and it talked about the culture, right? People first and that kind of stuff. And I met... Um, I, uh, this is when I was in, in the consulting and we're trying to do a reliability consulting project with them. And I met one of their vice presidents and, you know, I, 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 as a vendor, that's, I think I could do a whole podcast on this as a vendor. We're not out there to steal money. We're out there to provide value. Right. And that was my intent. Like as I went in there, because we didn't even talk about dollars or cents yet. And she was late for the meeting, walked in this VP and said, who are you? I'm like, well, hi, I'm Blair Fraser from this company. And she's like, just so you know, I don't need to like you. You just need to get me results. And <laughs> and I knew right there, I'm like, this, and I declined, right? I said, we can't fix the reliability, the maintenance and reliability culture because it was reactive and everyone was unhappy. Their turnover was crazy. It, it It's starting in this room, right? And it, it fundamentally changed my, now I followed that person throughout their career and they eventually left and went on to other places, but hopefully that person's changed. I'll never forget that. I don't need to like you. And it, 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 it's true. Like we don't need to, but it's just the way that it came out was just. Well, it made you feel like you didn't matter. Yeah. There's the problem with your culture. If you're in charge of these people, right? I don't need yeah. to like you. Just just work your butt off. It's kind of like what it's like, you know, like, oh, geez. Well, and it's yeah. it's so interesting because like there's always that thing. Like you got you to gotta be hard on your vendors. You got to do you know, you got to demand results, you got to do this stuff. And, you know, yes, it's true, you're paying for something. Um, so you need need results. But so often, you know, they're people too. <laughs> like, you know, the, the vendors mm-hmm. that you're working with, they want 
what they're selling to succeed. They want it to work. And because if it's not working, you're not the only one having a bad time. They're well aware it's not working. Well aware that they need to do something to fix it. And a lot of times, like, you know, um, I've been on both sides. I've been a vendor that sat there, worked late hours to try and make something work mm-hmm. for a customer where things just weren't working and that contract was doomed. But that effort is still there. They're still, like, even though they have a different company name on their, their title, doesn't mean they're less part of your, your team. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and, and I think, And I think that vendor engagement with, like, leadership needs to start there as well. Because it gets too easy on site to say, hey, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hey, buddy, I'm recording a podcast right now. Can you... Uh, <laughs> Can you go? Hey, buddy. I know. I'll be done soon. Okay. I'm not, see ya. I'm not, I'm not editing that out, Steve. <laughs> that's, that's real life. Honestly, that's staying in. No, that's all right. That's, you know, that's uh, uh, COVID, right? And, well, that's it's another it's thing also too. life. It's also life. Yeah. And like, this is kind of, it's perfect timing because it goes right to my point that like, we're all people and there's, there's people and COVID more than anything has kind of, put that out there that um you know before if you worked from home and your kid came into the room and interrupted a meeting that was like that was panic inducing everybody was terrified that (laughs) that's just that's just life now and i don't think that's going to change like you know a lot of companies aren't going to go back full-time it's going to be part-time some may not go back at all and having kids roll through is is -hmm. just part of it right so that, that is one of the benefits of COVID in some end aspects. Like we've seen some negatives, but we've seen some good things, right? And one of the good things is that is a human moment, right? And, and Blair and I, we perceive that in a way and you become more human than maybe you were before. Like, like I know I've met your, your, your wife and, and one of your kids, but, but like, other than that, like if you, if we never had met that before, then, you know, it, it introduces this element of humanness. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. Right. And that's what you see. Right. And, and I think a lot of us, like I, I haven't met my, co-workers at at uh, the company I work for now like I haven't met their kids but yeah I've seen them sometimes I've seen them on you know on mm-hmm. a zoom well on a team's meeting or whatever right but but getting back to it I think like if we if we look at what employee engagement is like it's measured basically four factors one is involvement in decision making so a lot of people want to have some autonomy in their job where they can make a choice. The, the second one is the extent to which employees feel able to voice their ideas and managers listen to their views and value those contributions. So a lot of that is psychological safety in terms of I can show up and I can voice my idea. But what you find in a lot of the plants, especially like you have those mechanics that are 20 years in the business, they're missing the second part. They voice their ideas and they feel unheard. They feel like nobody listens. They feel like nothing changes and they feel like their contribution doesn't matter. And that's why they're checked out. The third thing is opportunities employees have to develop in their jobs. Obviously, like seeing success is great. Um, and then the last point is extent to which the organization is in concern for employees' health and well-being. 
This one we see a ton in, in our space when they all say safety first, and yet when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of, of choosing an investment between a safety investment or a production investment, most of the time we pick production. So there's just like a ton there that we can talk about, but really the big thing is like start to understand and start to challenge what you think leadership is because for the most part, we're not doing it well. I think that's a good part to end there, Rob. I don't know if you can articulate <laughs> any better, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. But for definitely for, for Stephen, I thank you for letting us take on the, the helm of, of this podcast. It's been a, we've been doing it now, I think for seven months, Steve. Um, and it's not, I mean, it is work, right? Like, don't kid me to line up guests and to edit the podcast. And, you know, I was just telling Steve, there was one episode where I forgot to put up the actual post-production. It was the raw production. So everybody had me <laughs> swearing on my kids and right. That kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, for, for me, you, you know, hopefully it's the same for the listeners, meeting these people, talking to these people, getting insights, even this, it reaffirmed and a lot of stuff I knew some I didn't. And sometimes you have to hear it a bunch of times. Right. And, um, I think what you're doing, Rob, on the, the leadership part is definitely your calling, right? The mental health and leadership, right? Just what you said there, literally at one point, like I just had to sit there and just focus and listen, right? As, as a leader of a team too, right? It's important for me to make sure that, you know, those points are remain in my mind, right? Because sometimes you can get so entrenched in work and just do this, do this, right? You forget about that. Well, part. then sign up for the leadership program, Blair. Is, is there one? <laughs> Yeah, we're running one in a couple of weeks. Actually, it's starting out. Uh, so if you if you want more details, go to robsreliability.com slash leadership. Um, signups will be closing June 11th. Um, but yeah, we're running a program. I think we have six or seven people signed up right now. Uh, but it's... He's back. <laughs> hey, I hope we didn't lose that. My, my internet just went out. I sure hope it's going to keep all that from the buffer there. But <laughs> Yeah, then we have to record it. Record it all again. That's right. It's a start. <laughs> um, why don't you do that plug one more time and I'll edit it in. The... Leadership Launchpad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, so we are running the Leadership Launchpad Project online training program. It's going to be starting the week of June 14th, but signups will be closing June 11th. Um, we're going to get really into some of the stuff I talked about today around mindset, around how do you can understand not only how you're showing up and how your the beliefs that you've created, how they are impacting how you show up for your people and the actions that you take on a daily basis. We're going to get into all of that and help you really optimize your day-to-day -to, -day to help you become the best leader possible. And then obviously we're going to get into real leadership stuff like psychological safety, courage, vulnerability, building connection, and really 
becoming the best leader you can be. So all that stuff is going to be in that program. It's going to be 12 weeks. It's online. There's group coaching. There's individual coaching. All that stuff's together. If you want details on that, go to robsreliability.com slash leadership. Signups close June 11th, so get in right now. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Steve, do you want to put anything out there for the uh, mastermind? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, Rob is also talking about this topic. He's one of our instructors in our maintenance mastermind mobile equipment edition. Um, and so so we do have that piece on on good leadership and what that means to a, a maintenance department. Um, and obviously not the full course, but a bit of a crash course and hopefully give you give you the flavor for uh, what's what Rob's working on. And, um, but we've also got lots of great topics. So we've got a few, few instructors, like, uh, I was really going for a diverse, diverse group. And, um, so we've got myself, I, I covering a couple topics. We have Dean Jarvis from Australia. He's doing maintenance execution, Alison Hawley, who's been on this show, um, a couple times she's talking about asset health and some of the stuff we talked about there today. Uh, and Brian Beschke, another one who's, we haven't had him on Maintenance Disrupted. I think he was on our recent bonus episode, uh, but he he's was, talking yeah. about the the maintenance management piece. And so there is, there's a lot of great content and similar format, I think, to the Leadership Launchpad, where we've got the training, the coaching and the networking. Um, and, you know, what we're really going for is practical knowledge and implementation of that knowledge right away. And like, that's something I feel like training courses miss is here's a bunch of content and for the most part things are focused on fixed fixed equipment plants and there's not a lot out there specific for mobile equipment so that's why we're we're going this way with uh, kind of our first big one um so yeah you can get more information at, at that from www.maintenancedisrupted.com it's right on the front page there great Any plugs for me, Are you, you going to have the fi final <laughs> word, Blair? Or what? I, again, it's, it's my week to put the podcast out. No, I, I got nothing to nothing to nothing to plug from the, this end. I'll support you guys on your uh, your initiatives, and I I, I I I think you'll find me in your uh, leadership launchpad thing, Rob. I think that really really intriguing. So perfect. Yeah, I'll shoot, I, you, I, I'll shoot you that link later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, again, thanks thanks, Rob, for for uh, starting this podcast three years ago. Um, and uh, letting Steve and I run with it and we'll, we'll see what we can do with it and see where it takes us. No, I, I want to say thank you both to, to keeping this one going because I've, I've seen the stats lately and you guys are making it happen. We're growing. So it's awesome <laughs> to work with both of you. Good. Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. And it's funny, like through all of this too, like I've learned quite a bit about myself. Having to listen to myself week after week talk is isn't a pleasant experience all the time. It's uh, not. So, <laughs> so it definitely learned a lot about how I speak and how I present myself. And it's been, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. For me, it's been, listen, just Blair, shut up and listen. <laughs> right. That's the biggest value. And if I go to the first podcast to record, it's like, like trying to jump in there when there was a pause, right. I'm just really trying to listen right and uh, that's my biggest takeaway so thanks again rob thanks again to our listeners um as steve said there's a lot of you out there and it, and it keeps on growing we appreciate that um and you know our biggest win is is the amount of listeners so um please keep on listening for those that are listening and, and if you have friends please share it with your maintenance community 
uh, in your shops, things like that. Uh, and, and also, you know, provide feedback, provide posts, like our, our posts on LinkedIn and things like that. It, it helps grow and support this show. So we appreciate it. Three years, 160 episodes. That's the journey of Rob's reliability project transitioned into maintenance disrupted about seven months ago. This is Blair Fraser, and this week's episode of Maintenance Disrupted, we celebrate our three-year anniversary of this podcast. 